Blog Talk Radio. What is that, and how do I turn it off? You're nobody till some. That ain't gonna kick me off the air. Tomorrow we're gonna have to compromise on the sound too, you and I. Yes, I was. It just kicked me off the air, man. Are you for real? What the favorites. 
words. If you could sit here and look at my copy of this book, you would see how worn and tattered, highlighted, folded and bended. You, this is the book, one of my personal favorites, Black Social and Political Thoughts, Selected Writings, Volume 2, by Dr. Muhammad Ahmed, formerly known as Maxwell Stanford of the Revolutionary Action Movement, Ram, uh, got down out of Philly. I mean, the man is phenomenal, bad boy. It is what it is, always will be, and was uh, just really a personal blessing to me to been able to have um, soaked up information, to have the exposure to him as I had, as he and my, my Abu, my father, are very good friends, and go back. So just to be able to spend time with him, to get some of the more personal, intimate stories from behind the scenes, to see him in his setting as an academia, uh, a, a professor at Cleveland State University, later transferred over to Temple University, still doing his thing, had went over to the Black Studies Department over there. I mean, just phenomenal dude. I could go on and on and on and on, but this is not what that is about. But um, to, so that's just to give a little bit uh, 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 about who he was and to his accreditation, and if you look him up yourself, man, I mean, I think your jaw would hit the floor. A comedy Malcolm, I mean, it just goes on, on and on. Anyway, the book we're coming from, Black Social Political Thoughts, and this is a collection of his writings. I don't know throughout the years and just his participation in it, and it is very scholarly. This is why I put up there, this is a program, political education, for the mature revolutionary. For those of us that have studied the basic foundations a little bit, we know the, the concepts. We've graduated from the level of activism. We graduated the level from the level of just, you know, um, aiding social band-aids, which are all necessary, and they go in to make up a revolutionary and should forever and will ever always be a component of a revolutionary, but the revolutionary has graduated from that and understands uh, the level that it takes from, you know, the antagonism, the alliances and everything from not just the national but the international scale and where we as black people fit in in that whole scheme of things and where that starts. And Dr. Mohammed addresses that. And he says it starts with the black intelligentsia. What is the black intelligentsia or the intelligentsia? The intelligentsia are not an order bound together by a historic vow, but a social stratum which embraces all kinds of brain work occupations. They are an interclass group being the brain workers, the ideologists for the class they identify with. Because of the spiritual nature of the work that the intelligentsia does, it inevitably forms a spiritual tie between them and the possessing classes. The black intelligentsia has been alienated from its African roots. Therefore, unlike other potential middle classes, it has not produced an effective leadership that, that could give a revolutionary ideological direction for the African-American nationality. In various social movements of the 19th and 20th centuries, intelligentsias have emerged from the nationalist, potential middle class, or intellectual proletarians, giving a mass ideological direction. Though ideologies vary among intelligentsias, most have been motivated by the ethnic group's national and class interests. Okay, what is Dr. Muhammad telling us here? He's telling us where the intelligentsia, the majority of intelligentsia comes from. So he says that First of all, it's not a secret society. 
It's not a uh, order held together. It's not a religious order. It's none of these things. These are not the intelligentsia. The intelligentsia comes from a social stratum, a social structure or class that usually does the brain work of those people, your teachers, your doctors, your lawyers, middle class people, um, you know, these people that have been educated by the system and are in a certain class of the system, and it's easy for them to see the contradictions and hypocrisy of the system in which they're participating in. That's, and usually these are the people that are in those professions, you know, that are, I, I like to call it the gateway, the in-between. So, you know, you have the information of the 1% of those upper echelon, you know how, to, you're really serving them. But you're not down there with the people who don't know how it functions. So they almost have a sense of a, 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 a domestication, like a cattle type domestication sometimes. You know, we, they can be lulled to seat by trinkets and things like that because they don't know how the system really functions. And he says the African-American has been disassociated, alienated from our Let's use his words. He says has been alienated from its African roots. Therefore, unlike other potential middle class, it has not produced an effective leadership that could give a revolutionary ideological direction for the African nationality. What he's saying here is that other middle classes that know their origin, when they clamor for change, it is to empower their ethnicity or their class. It's to empower what they belong to. Since the African-American has been alienated from their roots, their fight isn't one of a revolutionary fight. It isn't one of returning to its origin because it doesn't know its origin. So what does the fight have to be? And the, Dr. Ahmed is going to say that. So remember that point. Most nationalities, uh, potential middle class in other nationalities, the ideologists, the brain workers, those who can easily spot the contradictions, they are closer to the hypocrisies. They're right there at the pie, but can't eat the pie. You know what I'm saying? Those people, when they can eat the pie, they understand how to gather the other people because they say, listen, these few are keeping us from that. Or we can not only eat that pie, we can break off, make our own pie. We know, we know all the, you know, we don't need that. And people that have been alienated from their origin, what are they trying to break off from and return to? If all you know, if all you've ever known is what has been presented to you. Dr. Muhammad further goes on to say, being brainwashed or whitewashed against having an African consciousness with everything that it represents, the African-American petty bourgeoisie cannot develop a program around an African-American national mass motivation. You see, being brainwashed or whitewashed against having an African consciousness and everything that that African consciousness would represent, our petty bourgeoisie, our potential middle class, those people who are uh, exposed to those contradictions, cannot develop a program around a national mass motivation. Psychological alienation led them to seek economic and political so solution that was against the nationality's interest, accommodationism, and black capitalism. 
goes back to what I was saying earlier. Without that understanding of African consciousness, returning to African principles, communalism, this sharing, this cooperation, the way, just returning back to it, we did, the African consciousness, we were beat unconscious. How about that? Let's say it like that. How about that? Let's talk about that for a moment. We were beat unconscious. So the African consciousness and African concept was totally foreign to us. It's not like we chose other than it was totally and completely foreign to us. So this, uh, the doctor says, so this psychological alienation led us to seek economic and political solutions that was against our interests as a people. So the only solution we see is within the very system that is oppressing us. He says, which is accommodationism, integration, accommodationism, integration, and or black capitalism, finding our power in economic empowerment within a capitalist system, the very system that was built off the exploitation, robbery, rape, murder of Mother Africa and you as in, uh, your people as uh, human beings. The Dr. Further goes on, he says, instead of struggling for the development of collective power, they organize for individual power, material accumulation, accumulation for members of their class. The major intellectual contribution of the African-American middle class has been, a, has been of attempting to record African-American history, which at times falls short of what it should be. The conclusion draws from the principles and tactics of accommodation or achieving integration into a capitalist America, which is both unrealistic and impractical, if not suicidal goal for the masses of African people. There it is. The only solutions that were we saw at that time that was feasible, coming from my greatest minds and spokesmen for the advancement of African people in America since we were alienated, from the African consciousness was principles and tactics of accommodation or achieving integration into a capitalist America. How can we empower ourselves within this structure? The revolutionary must completely think outside of that. And that is the challenge, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you. This is why we're going over the history of the intelligentsia and where the intelligentsia comes from. Because this is important. Many of you, middle class, are working in that, that you are from amongst our intelligentsia. But if you don't understand, if you don't regain an African consciousness of connectedness to your people, then your solutions will be accommodationists, integrationists, integrated to a capitalist society, or just downright cruel. <laughs> or just outright cruel. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Muhammad goes on, and we talk about these minds. This is let me let me reiterate. This is why we're touching on the history of this. What the intelligentsia is, how we got to where we are. We got to know our history of these people. We got to know what an intelligentsia is, what it evolved from, what it arrived from, and where it came from, and what was the most predominant thought, and sometimes still is, due to just the. Uh, the integrationists or the being in powered in a capitalist system 
black economics, black power through black economics in the capitalist system without really addressing the whole economic system. Yeah, uh, we need to look at that. And we need to know why we still think that's feasible. We go back to that being beat subcon- uh, unconscious from the African consciousness. It says that the greatest spokesman to emerge from the African middle class was Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, who for 50 years tried to work out a theory of achieving integration into monopoly capitalist America, only to find himself in exile in Africa. Admitting his mistakes of opposing Marcus Garvey in the 1920s and advocating socialism as a solution to the plight of 40 million African Americans. I think that is worthy to read again. The greatest spokesman to emerge from African American middle class was Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, who for 50 years tried to work out a theory for achieving integration into monopoly capitalist America. To what? To what? Only to find himself exiled in Africa, admitting his mistakes of opposing the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey in the 20s and advocating socialism as a solution for the plight of 40 million African Americans. In all social movements, especially among the intellectuals, there have been differences. These internal differences or contradictions have occurred over tactics of how to achieve liberation, self-determination, and power for the masses, working class. The difference between militancy versus moderation, reform versus revolution, nationalism or separation versus integration, or some form of cultural and polit- political autonomy, pluralism have occurred within the ranks of black intelligentsia before the destruction of Chattel's slave system. From the days of the abolitionist, abolitionist movement, there have been differences over the direction of whether African Americans' fate could or should be left in the hands of white Americans. Differences can be traced back to the ideological arguments between Frederick Douglass, Martin Delaney, Henry Highland Garnett, and the Colored People's Conventions, from the 1830s to the 1850s. All right. So we're saying this intelligentsia, here we're studying the history of the intelligentsia, is nothing new. We've had this come up. Our intelligentsia, our brilliant people, our people who had uh, dedicated and committed themselves to the direction of the African masses here in America before before the destruction of the Chattel slave system. And the questions that they face remain the same then as they do now. The questions of contradictions on how or the, uh, occurred or still are over the, the tactics of how we will achieve self-determination and liberation. The difference between militancy versus moderation, uh, reform versus revolution, nationalism or separation versus integration, are some form of cultural and political autonomy, pluralism, which is being in the system but having your own little social and cultural groove abide, which we see a lot of. We've, we're developing, you know, you see it in, uh, you know, usually in your cities in the community. Plur- pluralism looks like this. In Atlanta, it's the West End. It's, you're still in the system. You're not really trying to create a new system, but you still got, you carve out your own little niche. You know, pluralism. Those things, these questions still exist today. 
They existed then and they exist now. Uh, problematic problems in the ideological directions have arisen because the African American is in a condition of domestic colonialism or possibly neocolonialism in a foreign country separated from historic native land, stripped of native culture, heritage, religions, languages, physically outnumbered, and trained to hate him or so for over 400 years. I'm going to read that again to slow it down. Our problematic problems in ideological direction, these problems we fight one another over in ideological direction or just the conflicts we find in ourselves come from us being in a condition of domestic colonialism. Domestic colonialism. Colonized people. Domestically. And or possibly neo-colonialism in a foreign country. That's what more I lean towards. Neo-colonialism. Maybe because I'm in Atlanta. I see these Negroes, man, sometimes worse than white people. They emulate their mass in every way, shape, form, and fashion and, and, and strive to do, be a better tyrant at times to uphold a uh, more uh, unjust system than they do. But this, these problems arise because of those conditions uh, and, and separated from our historic native land, stripped of our native culture, heritage, religions, language, physically outnumbered, and trained to hate ourselves for over 400 years. Boy, that's a trauma. This oppression has made African Americans other than themselves. Even though they have retained some of their African heritage, separation in return would almost be an automatic response among the oppressed people taken from their land if allowed to return to their folkways. But for the African American, Return becomes a more complex question, and alternative theories have emerged within the last 368 years. Yo, let me touch on that for a second, because we're going to wrap it up in a minute. He, this is heavy. He says that people who haven't suffered that trauma that we have, that complete and total separation, and why do we, I keep harping on this. Because we forget this crime, and it's important that we can't, we have to remember this crime so that we're not we're not lulled into a false sense of security and sleep, a false sense of comfort, like I see us falling into now, participating in their shenanigans, participating in their shenanigans, finding comfort in their political system. They gave us someone like a Donald Trump. That presented the worst that these people had to represent. He showed their worst face. And he scared black people so bad that we were happy and cheered when Biden came in. And Kamala Harris came in and forgot that the whole damn system is still corrupt. We can't be so scared that we still celebrate a lesser form of our oppressor. Our fight should still be self-determination. Liberation and complete and total independence for black people here in America. 
however that looks. Don't tell me it can't happen. You're not, I'm listening. Ride around your city. Ride around your city. You think these other ethnicities are dependent on um, America? They have learned to pimp the system. America caters to them. That's why you're claiming a first black vice president when in all actuality she's Hindu, Paco, American, or whatever. Hindi, I don't know. But our people have claimed that through political maneuvering, economic, man, they own the whole hospitality industry. Next, it'll be a Korean because they own the whole hair candies when you talk about minorities, if not a Hispanic. It'll never be a homegrown black Negro. The closest you will get is Mrs. Michelle Obama, homegrown Negro. Not even our dear President Barack Obama. We can't even say I'm from these souls, this dirt, this mud, shout As a black nationalist, I see the games being played. We have to wake up and realize, so don't tell me you as a black person here, homegrown from this soil, not from slavery, but from free Africans enslaved, and that just happens to be a saga, a chapter in your great destiny, can't have it. Complete total independence where they cater to you and you have a saying in the shaping of any system. A real saying. Not taking scraps and handouts, leftovers, and claiming just happy because somebody said they was black. I question the whole damn thing. I wonder what real black sister lost out to a Howard scholarship because somebody played with words. When Lyndon B.J. signed that civil rights bill with affirmative action in black, they knew what they was talking about. This is why I be fussing at my son about going to school. 475 years, 368 years, they kept us from reading. We should be exempt from federal taxes and all higher learning. The institutions should be free. College should be free for black people. Listen, don't let me digress. Let's get back to the book. So I'm saying that. So if people who have it don't suffer this trauma, when given the option to be free from slavery, they will naturally take the option to go back to their land. We weren't that free to have not only not that option, that reality. What land? What customs, cultures, Norways, Norways, Folksways, traditions, religions, language? So we had to come up with alternate theories. The most popular of the alternate theories among the African-American middle class in recent years has been integration and or assimilation into a capitalist America. We have found that to be the best solution for us. We had at this time, remember we speaking, he's speaking from a historical perspective. He's building up what the black intelligence is, the people that did the brain work, and why, how we find ourselves here today, and he's going to build up to where the civil rights movement is born. He's talking about now the likes of Frederick Douglass. I said, this is a mature revolutionary class, brothers and sisters. You got to know your Frederick Douglass. Don't make me call my babies in here. Tell you about old, good old brother Frederick. Frederick, but he's talking about the likes of Frederick Douglass, the likes of Martin Delaney. Many of you may not be uh, familiar with, but I call Martin Delaney 
If Malcolm is the father of black nationalism, Martin Delaney is the godfather of black nationalism. Bad man. Martin Delaney. Um, uh, and, and the likes. He's talking about these uh, um, Henry Highland Garnett. These people. Why this became coming from the separation, the trauma that I just spoke about that we faced as African people enslaved and forced to, into servitude here and the whole senses being beat out of us, our African conscience being out, beat out of us when freedom was presented to us and the empowerment and opposition and advancement, how we would achieve this integration and assimilation into a capitalist America for the masses of black people seemed to be the most feasible and, vi- and most feasible and realistic solution. Historic analysis of the black intelligentsia is difficult because they all they often waver between the national class aspects of national liberation and integration. Um, pardon me. I lost my place. Let me let me read again. Historical analysis of the black intelligentsia is all, is difficult because they often waver between the national slash class aspects of the national liberation and integration, militancy and moderation, reform and revolution, either national or international. So it's saying that it's hard to get a a, histor- a real historical na- analysis on the groove and vibe of our intelligentsia to put them in any real uh cla- any real like category or thought pattern, you know, how they say some statistic to how we would move because our struggle is interchangeable. It's national slash class. It's not it's not like the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution in Europe where it was all white folk fighting. The Chinese Revolution, the Cuban Revolution, where it's all one ethnicity fight. So their struggle is largely at times a class struggle. It is the division between the proletarian and the uh, uh, the bourgeoisie, the working class, the and the lower and the the, the, the lower than the working class. And these in the Russian um, Revolution's case, it was the czar, the ruling class, monarchies dictatorships, you find the people rising up, but they're the same ethnicity, so it's really a class struggle. The black man and woman here in America, not only fighting a class struggle against capitalism, but it is inevitably tied to his race, his or her race. So we fight a national slash class issue, and this is where our struggle comes in, because when seeking the alliances and aids of other revolutionaries, we lose a lot of good revolutionaries to the whole class struggle. To the whole class struggle. And slavery cannot be separated from the whole class struggle, the economic struggle, or capitalism. It can't be separated from the building of capitalist America because it is interwoven in the fabric. It is how she runs. This is why she went from chattel slavery to the 13th Amendment. Slavery has never been fully abolished in America. It can't. It can't. Not under the current system. It always has to create a class that has to be subservient. When they get you in the system, the penitentiary system, not only are you given free labor, when you're out, you have a scarlet letter. You're penalized. It is no such thing as paying your debt to society. 
you are still marginalized and uh, disenfranchised from from participating fully. You have a felony, a record. There's certain jobs you can't have. There's even certain places you can't live. So you're reduced to two things, crime or minimal labor. They have to have a minimal labor pool. Capitalism finds a way to dampen the, uh, and hinder the human being from reaching their fullest potential. They don't encourage that. Then you don't have a 1%. If you open the schools up and make it free, you start to find out how dynamic the human being really is and how super spectacular we as black people are. Then you can't control and manipulate the curriculum. You can't have this program you have. You see, so slavery has never been abolished. And I think we have to, and this is why I said it's hard to get a, a grasp on our intelligentsia, because we do have to waver from militancy to moderation, from revolution to reform. We don't have the luxury of having one set question to answer in our liberation self-determination struggle. The basic difference between the national class aspect of national liberation is, is that one believes a socialist revolution is necessary to achieve parity. The issue of militancy versus moderation is a tactical question, while the national, uh, while the national class question of self-determination versus integration under capitalism relates to the means of attaining American, African-American goals, that of using reform demands or engaging in mass revolutionary action to achieve the goals of self-determination and national liberation. To achieve self-determination involves African-Americans laying down the tools participating in general strike and allowing themselves with Chicanos, Latinos, Puerto Ricans, Asians, Native Americans, and white workers to bring forth a socialist America. That's on an international scale. Um, waverance and ambivalence. Let me see. 20 minutes. Waverance and ambivalence. The doctor goes on to say, wavering between the national class aspects of national liberation, nationalism, and integrating comes from ambivalence. Ambivalence comes from historical and present-day systematic brainwashing, false class, national, and race consciousness. This brainwashing over a period of years has produced a self-destructive, misogynistic, self-hatred complex within the African-American psyche. So complete has been the brainwashing that it has produced a conditional inferiority reflex in the African-American. The very nature of American society causes each African-American to have a negative traumatic experience sometime in their life about being born African or having African features. The African-American is constantly bombarded with an anti-African image through radio, television, movies, videos, DVDs, CDs, newspapers, and magazines. Because of all the heroes, power symbols, etc., are Caucasian in America. 
This is backed up with a 368-year negative complex towards African existence. This has left the African-American with a complexing personality. Ambivalence is the mix of conflicting feelings about the oppressor and comes from the desire to be like the power or dominant symbols. The ambivalence occurs between intra, in-group emotions directed towards self or group and extra, out-group emotions directed toward the oppressor. The most common conflict occurs between intra-hatred and extra-hatred, intra-love and extra-love. All right, so what's happening here? Ambivalence is the feeling. He's saying he gave them, Dr. Muhammad just gave us the whole breakdown of this trauma that we suffer from the brainwashing, from the constant bombardment of anti-African imagery. Daily, constantly, that all the power symbols and everything are Caucasian. And so we develop this ambivalence, ambivalence. And ambivalence, he says, is a mixed or conflicting feeling about the oppressor that comes from a desire to be like the power of dominant symbols. You know this sucker's law. You know everything he stands for, everything he's doing is dead wrong. Yet and still success and prosperity and power is is, uh, held by his way. And emulating, the more that you think and act and behave and can function like this devil, the more successful and prosperous and dominant you have the potential of becoming, or at least you're given that illusion. So the ambulance comes from that, this mixed feeling. It occurs between the in-group emotion directed toward the self-you and the extra, the out-group emotion directed toward the oppressor. The most common conflict is the in-hatred and out-hatred, and the in-love and out-hate, and out-love from traumatic experiences of racism in America. The African-American develops an an extra-hatred, an out-hatred for the oppressor, the Caucasian, the Anglo-American nationality. But the African-American, through the conditioned reflexes, also develops a false out-love for the oppressor. Due to embedded reflexes. See, that's been beating you to love that devil, to trust in that devil. Not only beating you psychologically manipulated. Some of you just finding out Jesus black. Some of you just finding out Jesus black Jesus. But we've been manipulated through religion and through power symbols to believe that everything was white. Why? Even through the food. Angel's cake. Devil's cake. Tell a little white lie. You blackmail somebody. I mean, just the very language. Everything you've been taught has been to hate yourself. So you develop this false love for your oppressor or what things that are white and a uh, intra-hatred for things that are African or black. But the African-American, through the conditioned reflexes, also develops a false extra love for the oppressor, which comes from fear and respect for the power and success. Also from the conditioned reflexes comes in hatred, being the love and beauty symbols are Caucasian. You don't see yourself, so you have a hatred for yourself. 
the in-hatred feeling constantly conflict with the natural in-love feelings. This conditioning that you're being conditioned to hate yourself conflicts with the very natural feeling that you know you are a phenomenal being. That your very spirit says to love you is all right. And it's, you know, it, it, it creates this conflict. We probably, man, this is probably the cause for a lot of mental health. So Dr. Muhammad is saying that. He's saying due to the reflex conditioning, we're, we have this in hatred, the anti-African image, everything that is, is, is black is negative. But the, it's false. It's imposed upon us because the natural in love conflicts with it. The African-American both love and hates him or herself and also loves and hates the oppressor. While 400 years of traumatic, man, that is so true. Let me just tell you, I I have heard some of the most moderate integrationists, black people, catch them right. They will talk about a black cracker, all these crackers. It's a love-hate thing. Though they will fight to reform this devil system. I mean, and believe in reforming this system, but know that a cracker is a cracker. It's it's the craziest thing. Um, while 400 years of traumatic experience would seem to be a rational proof that the oppressor will not reform, the African American still wants to believe that they will reform. Let me reread that. While 400 years of traumatic experience would seem to be rational proof that the oppressor will not reform, the African-American still wants to believe that they will reform. Therefore, the most intimate the relationships, therefore, the more intimate the relationship between Caucasian and African-Americans, the more the African-American will have intra-hatred and extra external love. Unless the traumatic experiences have destroyed them, there will be a higher degree of ambivalence among those who have a high respect for the Caucasian culture and intellectual cap- capacities. Ambivalence has been one of the main problems among the black intellectuals in the past years. So he said, the closer with these Caucasians, with these devils, the more respect you have for their intellectual capacity, for their system, the more in awe of it, the greater the ambivalence, the greater the the, the confusion and the conflict that exists within yourself of false internal hatred versus the natural internal love and false uh, external love as, as, as opposed to the uh, reflex of a false external love for your oppressor, oppressor and the oppression and suppression that he's inflicting upon you daily. The closer in proximity to them, this is why I advocate separation. I've been knowing they had COVID, social COVID. I've been knowing they was devils. Um, Not having knowledge, the doctor goes on to say, not having knowledge of the past or of African-American history and being psychologically cut off from the outside world through conditioned reflexes, the African-American has been like a piece of driftwood. The driftwood theory is that 
if the historical continuity of a people is destroyed and if influences from other peoples or cultures are denied them, then they become susceptible to suggestions. Only the present concerns affect them because they have no conception of the past and have lost the ability to perceive the future to their advantage. I'm going to read that driftwood effect again. Because I really want us to think on that, to listen to that. Driftwood effect. Really listen to that and, and, and contemplate it. Not having knowledge of the past or of African-American history and being psychologically cut off from the outside world through conditioned reflexes, the African-American has been like a piece of driftwood. The driftwood theory is that if the historical continuity of a people is destroyed and if influences from other peoples or cultures are denied them, then they become susceptible to suggestions. Only the present concerns affect them because they have no conception of the past and have lost the ability to perceive the future to their advantage. I'm not even going to ruin that by speaking on that. To destroy ambivalence, among the colonized people, a national intelligentsia must constantly present them with the traumatic experiences of the past and present and intensify their group's anger until they judge the oppressor as the enemy and conclude from the group action that the oppressor must be destroyed. The intelligentsia must show the group its link with the past the past relationships with the present and how it applies to the future. This is how ambivalence, conditioned reflexes, and drift driftwood thinking can be destroyed. And with that, I'm going to stop 13 minutes short. I think that's... I really want to. Because I, I, you know, that is heavy. <laughs> That's heavy for me. Yeah. So we're going to catch you next Tuesday. We're going to stop, you know, think on that. Re-listen to it. We're calling out the black and telling it's time to build. It was time to be serious about this thing. This is why I said, you know, I, I started from ground zero. Going back to the the drawing board, I mean, going back to the, the dirt of this thing, but not on the same level I was before. When I came to you, Chairman Yang, we built on the A block. This is for my B and C block people, man, who's ready to take it to the next level. Those within the shot of my voice and ready to step their game up. Get at me. Check me out next Tuesday. Check the party out. Check us out Sunday. Don't forget the programs. Until then, be good to your people. Be good to each other. And all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power.